Good evening. So good to be here with you. Sorry, I'm a little bit discombobulated. I'm late pulling myself together. It's been a busy weekend. Trying to uh, visit with friends, new friends, uh, just fulfill all the things the Lord had put in my heart while I was down here. Uh, it's kind of hard to get away sometimes when you pastor a church. And it's an open opportunity. And so glad to be with you tonight. I preached at this church many years ago uh, when I was pretty young and had just moved into Tennessee area. And uh, one of my former pastors was pastoring your church at that time, Brother Del Compton, many years ago. Uh, gives you a kind of clue how old I am. Uh, in regard to Josh and his family, they have been such a blessing to me my whole life. Uh, his grandparents uh, just can't say enough about Brother Ken and what he meant to me. He was always such a visionary in the gospel and the work of the church and, and just sold out full on, full tilt, if you want to call it. And that impressed me because that's what I see in scripture so much of the time. And so we're thankful to be here tonight. And do desire your prayers. Uh, Looking forward to be with you the rest of the evening, and um, hopefully the Lord kind of moved my subject and uh, around a little bit, and I'm kind of used to that anymore. I don't plan to say anything in particular until just moments before, because Brother Paul Bryson, who was my pastor as a young minister, told me that when you really start preaching, you'll have no idea what you're preaching until you get up there, and I found that to be true uh, so much of the time, because we don't always know what is relevant, but the Lord always does. And so we need to. If you want to read along with me tonight, we're going to be reading a few verses in the book of Galatians in the first chapter. And I have two thoughts I hope to marry together for your benefit tonight. Um, I, I'm, I'm blessed to hear what is going on here. Those of you who are supporting this work, and, and, and I know it's a rebuilding in some ways, but... I want you to understand that everything that Christ does is not a redo. It's new. It's fresh. His agenda, he doesn't even hearken back to his cross because he comes in newness of life. That's what he brings. So if you want to be a part of something in Christ, you have to be relative to his thinking and his purpose in each day because he's a creator. A lot of people want to make Christ a historian. He's not. He's relevant. And although he was all the way back at the very beginning in creation and before being mindful of man, everything he does is forward thinking. A lot of people even think at the end of time that that somehow or another is backward. It's not. Because his agenda and purpose is forward for eternity for the things that are rotting him. So we have to be true with ourselves that we do get discouraged. There are things that we have to contend with that are just the realities of the world we live in and humanity. And we forget sometimes Christ endured all those same things we do and he was waiting on his father to do some pretty incredible things. But he had the promise of it And he was realistic about it. So if you want to read with me in the first chapter of Galatians. uh, Let's see, we'll start uh, in the 11th verse. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation 
of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that just that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited it in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But it, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach to him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. And we want to stop there. I want to speak a little bit about this work that God did in Paul. But that work was first done in Christ Jesus. Because he came in flesh, lived in flesh, and was subject to his father to be revealed in him. And he gave us a pattern. And so he endured all the things of flesh, not only of temptation, but discouragement. I want you to think about that. Capernaum, he called his own town in Scripture. And yet very few believed on it. And I want us to just look at a few Scriptures tonight, and then we're going to come back to the rest of Paul's uh, writing here for a little bit. Um, when we look in... Uh, couple different places, uh, Matthew 13, 55, just to give you some background, I want you to think, and what really stirred my mind when I came across this verse, it did me on, put me on some research a few months ago, about, and what stirred me is that Paul was talking about James' brother. I've read that, I don't know how many times, but never thought about Paul spending time with the brother of Jesus, James. And all the years that he had... Uh, been called to the ministry and was preparing Arabia, uh, really taking the mystery of Christ in the Old Testament and bringing it forward to us, to all that glorious instruction he gave us. He brought us such a beautiful gift. But he only spent that little bit of time with Peter when he came to Jerusalem to start his ministry. And other than that, with James, the brother of Jesus. And he doesn't really tell us how much, but I got a feeling there was quite a bit of it. I don't know if James was going into Arabia or not. The scripture's kind of silent on that. But I think the reason was, is Paul was certifying that the things that he thought that was the real Christ, the human Christ, and the divine Christ, he had the right picture. Because God gave him a very great responsibility of painting a correct picture of my Jesus of what he endured and what he was like and how he related to his family. And who better than James? So put me on a search. What was James like during the ministry of Christ? And I found some things to be rather revealing about his whole family. And most of us, our seemingly first work in Christ is our family. 
people that we love, people we're familiar with, right? And yet what I found about Jesus' family was quite shocking. I knew some of it, but I didn't know the extent of it. I didn't know how people thought about Jesus' family. We all know that his mother was very devoted to him. His father was very devoted to him. His mother was widowed at a pretty young age, and Jesus cared for her. And we know that even at his crucifixion, he told John and others that this is, this is, your, this is your mother. He gave them charge to take care of her. And not in the sense that uh, a lot of religions want to personify her, but she was a woman that suffered much, maybe more than any woman for the cause of Christ. And so she's worthy of, of some expectation. And yet, having known that, I know how dedicated she must have been to the message of Jesus Christ, that she trusted him not only as her good son, but as her Savior and the Son of God. And how she must have been at Sturge at other times because her other children seemingly didn't share the same affection. Maybe it was jealousy, it was world, it was flesh, whatever you want to call it. They just weren't there for it. They just weren't. So in Matthew, uh, the 13th chapter, the 55th verse, and we'll start at 53rd. It came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? They were astonished by his words, by everything he did. But listen to what they said. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother James and Joseus, which just means Joseph Jr. And Simon and Judas? Here was the question. Why did they ask that? Because his testimony was of the father, but there was no testimony of his family other than his mother. A lot of times we feel like that the work that God has called us to would be greater and better if those around us and even in our own church supported what God called us to. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're bumps on a log sitting there acknowledging but not united in worship and acknowledging the great work of Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, and his sisters. So we know there was more than one. There had to be at least two because it made it plural. And we don't know their names. Are they not all with us? They're right here. And see, the problem is he's doing these great works and nobody from his community, the son of the carpenter, his family are acknowledging who he is. Folks, most of the time, the people we depend on don't acknowledge our Savior. This is what Jesus was going through. This is the reality of his life. You thought surely by the time he had started doing all these miracles, his family had come on board. But they're asking this in an accusatory tone and question. How many times have you had that happen to you? And if the world doesn't do it, you know they're thinking it, and Satan certainly makes you believe you're weak. The witness is weak because nobody's standing with you. Some of you may be the only one coming to worship at this place in your family. 
You may be alone. You may be alone. But they were offended in him. See, this was the whole point. They were trying to dismiss and dismantle the calling of God and his ministry. Although they said, how does he speak this way? How does he do these miracles? And I want you to know something. The world will always reject to them what is obvious because they are opposed to the work of God. They're about themselves. They're not about our Heavenly Father and His Son. And Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. We all have heard that. We apply it to preachers a lot of time. We encourage preachers. I don't know that it's very encouraging most of the time. And it can only be encouraging when we know how powerful the witness of Christ was all alone. His witness was all alone. It was between him and the Father the majority of the time. I got a feeling in the early days, especially when his early disciples came around and they were trying to figure and understand what he was and, and were amazed by him, but they just kind of stood back and their witness wasn't very accountable. Their countenance were full of questions and they had lots of questions for him. They didn't really understand. And that's the way a lot of us are. We're standing instead of coming to full knowledge of the Lord. We're just full of questions. And it looks like doubt to the world. It looks like a lack of confidence. Folks, I believe with all my heart, God honors an intention and purpose. And if you don't understand who Jesus is, if you're not truly committed, even though you've been saved, and understand that He has a ministry in this world, and you are part of it, how will you ever affect change in the work of Jesus Christ in our lives? How will that ever happen? You can't just dismiss it. The world is looking and they're looking for an absolute yes. This is the Son of God. Well, Brother Steve, Jesus has died and He went to the cross and and He he did all this work and He was resurrected and that is all true. But the witness of Him still is exclaimed through us by the Holy Spirit. And you just can't leave it to a written word for them to go read. And to sit on a shelf. You are the embodiment of the living word of God. Lively stones in this world. This word takes manifestation of Jesus through our recognition and acknowledgement of who he is. And folks, he does enough miracles and a good, enough good work every day in our life, even when we don't feel like it, that he deserves something from us. He deserves something from us. We read a little bit further in Mark 6.3, another counting of the Lord, just to back up what we've already said, for you to give an account and thought of Him. And you know, you say, well, Jesus didn't need His family. He loved His family. He loved His family. Just like you and I do. He had all the same affection and feeling and experience that we did with family. He knew the good part of it. He knew the bad part of it. You with me? You with me? This one who, in legend, says that Jesus healed the little birds and let them fly. I I can't imagine the things he was capable of doing even as a little boy. And yet he didn't do them to his own glory. Whatever he did, it was to the honor and glory of his father and his own maturity and growth 
and wisdom in the Lord. And I'm sure there were experiences. In the sixth chapter of Mark, it starts, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. So he's going to his place of his, his growing up, his country. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? They had to acknowledge that he wasn't like any other human being they had ever heard of, seen, or know, or hoped to future. That's the thing we can know about our Christ. He cannot be qualified in any other human term other than the fact He is the Son of God and the Son of David and the righteousness and shining star given to us, promised as our Messiah. And again, to ask the question, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseus and Judah and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? And they were again offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, uh, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. He clarified it even greater. He took it specifically to his family. So we know that he had felt and endured all those things. They extended it beyond his brothers and sisters, his cousins, nieces, nephews, Aunts, uncles, their friends, other extended family. And we think we're alone. He died on the cross. As far as we know, the only one there of his family was his mother. That's all we have record of. I'm disappointed you must have been. So, we don't get a pass to have a pity party. We just don't. We don't. But we should take courage by his example, by his great love. You know, most of us, when we can't get a little support and backup from our family, we're done. We just quit. It's too hard. If they don't believe in us, nobody will. His did. His did. And he could do, there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he kept, and he went around about the village teaching. And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth uh, by two and by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So when he sent them forth, the scripture tells us that he departed from them for a while. Most authorities think it was for about six months. And he had commanded them to go share what, the things he had taught them. And they had a lot of questions about that. Well, how do we do this? We've never done this. But they found when they went in his name <laughs> and repeated his words, that the Holy Spirit witnessed it and the things that he's told them that would happen the sick would be healed, the blind would see, the dead would be risen, happened. Folks, this Jesus 
who is not powerless, but the world declares he is, has still chosen you and I and sent us forth and told us by like witness and command of the church on the day of Pentecost that we are to go forth and be his witness. Mm -hmm. And the things he has commanded and said shall happen. Shall happen. How weak my faith is in that much of the time. Just because I stand behind a pulpit doesn't mean that I have full assurance and belief in my heart the way I should much of the time. But every day that Jesus stood on the earth and did the ministry his father called him to, there was never a day that was a pass. Every day was the truth and fullness and reality of his heavenly father and the heavenly kingdom he was called to establish. And our communion is with him. And what is the communion in? Yes, in his death, burial, and resurrection, but the real communion is in his life. We're told that in Romans 5 and in Hebrews 9, I think the 11th verse. And so that is our fellowship with him. We say, well, we have communion service. What does that mean? It's a picture of our life with Christ in fullness of his resurrection being bore out in us. Well, it it made me think a little bit more about this this relationship uh, that that Jesus had with his family and brother. I want to share a little bit more with you. And if you go to Acts, if you want to turn there, we have a few illustrations of this life and work of Jesus Christ. And And I think every one of these is relevant to us in understanding what this looked like in him. What this looked like in him. In the 21st chapter of Acts, the 8th verse, make sure I got what I want here right correctly. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we gathered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which is one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which we did prophesy. And again, that's just, I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I pulled that out just right now. Sometimes I do that, so I apologize. Let's look at Acts 1.14. I think that's what I was going for. I'll think of what it was for in a minute. <laughs> what I do. In the twelfth verse in the first chapter, and then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And they were come in, and they were went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. 
These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, and with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. So we have this illustration again of James being there. So something happened. Something happened. James, the brother of Jesus, was not one of the original apostles. Something happened, and we don't know exactly when. Somewhere between the crucifixion of Christ and the day of Pentecost, James came on board with the ministry and work of Jesus. I'm sure Jesus would have loved to have known and seen that as a physical man, but as a Savior, he rejoiced even greater because he was a child of God now. And how... How the family must have marveled. And I pray and I hope, my continuing is, as James came to fullness of understanding who Jesus was as not just his brother, as, but as the Christ, and saw this great witness. And, 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 and from accounting of Scripture, we know that he saw him. He saw him resurrected in the fullness. I believe, personally, that that means James had to have gotten saved before Jesus was resurrected. Or sometime before he appeared, while he was appearing to the others. Why? Because we have no accounting of anyone during that period who was saved until the day of Pentecost. And if there was, it had to be by the same merit of everybody else. They hadn't seen him. They believed upon him by faith because folks... That was the picture of the new covenant. When uh, Philip was told that Jesus was alive and he was risen, he said, I will not believe until I have touched the nail scar in his hand and seen the riven wound in his side. Remember what Jesus said? But he was already a child of God. He had a relationship with Jesus. And he said, Philip, blessed art thou. But more blessed are those who have not seen and do yet believe. So it's wondrous to me what James was thinking. How he must have sorrowed in his heart for all the times he doubted Christ during this period. And yet I have to think just like Paul, oh, how great was his witness. I got a feeling... James, because of what he had been guilty of when he heard about Paul, this man who had persecuted the church, this man who had identified with the Savior that loved him beyond the grave, that he had a great heart for Paul and an acceptance of him unlike hardly any other, because I think he felt like a malefactor. One who had persecuted Christ and his doubt. Folks, many times people who've grown up around the church, around the saints, and had such a hard time, I often wonder why do they struggle so? They've been around it for so long, but I want to tell you, they feel a little ashamed. Even though God has saved them, He's given them new lives, He's forgiven them because they feel the weight sometimes of the evidence of their lack of doubt and all those that love the Lord and are dedicated to Him. Now I want you to think about what that means. 
We have to reinstate into them that this Jesus is big enough to understand that situation. And if he endured it with his own family, certainly he can endure their lack of belief. And he only had one purpose, no matter how long it took, no matter what they went through, that they might be his. So much of what we do as the people of God has way too much to do with the flesh and not the spirit man. Amen. And when I say that, I want you to think about this. We, we often, um, we, 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 just, we just get turned around on it. It, it. It's a fleshly, natural behavior. We think in a very natural sense. Everything in the service of God is something that relates to the nature of who we are. Folks, that's not what we're called to. We're not called to relate to the nature of us. If Jesus had called, been called to relate to the nature of his flesh, he may have said, James didn't believe me while I was here. My own brother, why would I forgive him now? He may have said that about everyone that he witnessed to. And my belief and expectation is there are many who doubted him and did not believe upon him. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit witnessed through the preaching of Peter, there was a great effect. And they repented and were sorrowed and saved. And we know 5,000 and their families. And again, in another accounting, three and 4,000 were saved and baptized and added to the church. Folks, it doesn't matter when or how or how long. It matters in the purpose and intention and understanding we have of the work of Jesus Christ and how we work to display it because we are such benefactors of his mercy and grace and we want it for others because they're just as unworthy as we are. I want you to get that. They're just as unworthy as we are. I was very young when I got saved. But boy, the three days that I couldn't have full confidence and I battled with the Lord, I was ashamed at some point in time, but so glad he put mercy on me. I read an accounting of a man uh, up in Alaska, and uh, he had heard a, a great message of, of the redeeming work of Christ, and, and all he had ever known was an accept Christ, a philosophy Christ, a historical Christ, but he wanted this living Christ that this preacher preached about, and, and he wanted it. And he knew that the man was severe enough, and he had been diagnosed with cancer and only had a few weeks to live. He contacted this preacher. This preacher left what he had in his church and his responsibility, and he went up to Alaska, and it was a far journey. And he went up there and he met with the man and he said, are you really, and before he went, he said, are you serious about coming to the Lord? Have you turned your back on this world? He said, I have nothing left. And my only hope is this. And he wasn't praying to be healed. He just wanted to know this mighty Jesus that had seemed to escape him for so long. And the witness of this preacher had confirmed in his heart that he was real and alive and wanted to be his Savior. The man had done a lot of awful bad things. He couldn't seem to get over the things that stood between him and the Lord and his doubts of many years and pushing away the opportunity to come to God. They spent 14 hours a day in prayer. 
that preacher believed in a real Jesus. It was just as if he was right there and they were waiting for the healing. Talk about a weariness of the flesh. A doubt that could come in. And that's where we, man, we get weary with our families, don't we? We start to doubt a lot of things just because of weariness of the flesh. The trial of it sometimes. They had been praying for five days straight. I have no doubt the man was exhausted, but I have no doubt that he was praying in his bed much during the night. And they just wouldn't give up. The preacher was going to have to get on a plane and fly back home the day after next. That last day, late in the hour, that man found the Lord. He found the witness of a real Jesus. But this man, this good man who loved God so much and believed so much in the reality of him and his ministry, and he endured with him all that time. Folks, why do I give that illustration? This Christ that we say believe, we believe in, we must endure with him as if he is right here with us. That reality must be real in our life. It must, we must be willing to cast aside all things that we're told we need to account for in this life and desire only this witness and work of God. You know, I think about how faithful Jesus was to so many people that he loved. And, and how he went above and beyond so much of the time knowing in these communities that very few would believe on him. So we come back, and, and there's more I could get to, and, and I'll let you look those up. There are a few other references. We come back to Galatians. And we're looking at Paul's life, and, and you know, He's very much a picture of Jesus Christ in this sense. He's alone. All of his Jewish brethren and, 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 and family and all of them no doubt have turned their back on him. And he is not only a murderer to the church, but he is a traitor to the Jewish tradition. He's alone. Three years in the desert with Jesus. Coming to an intimate knowledge of the fullness of the promise and the covenant that's in Jesus Christ. And although he had this wondrous experience on the road to Damascus, and saw Christ and had this relationship like all of us do, in a fashion that have come to the Lord, it had three years of hard, arduous work bringing this flesh into subjection, that he might be the picture and example of Christ enduring against a world that rejected, despised, and hated. Folks, we are called to the same journey that Paul was on. We may not be guilty of the things he were, but we all are guilty of enough sin that we're not worthy. And honestly, we have nothing to account of ourselves to justify ourselves or recommend ourselves to anyone that we are a proper witness of Jesus Christ, save that he witnesses in us and chose to do it that way. That's all we have. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be right enough. There's never going to be a right time. There's only going to be trusting in the word and witness of Jesus Christ. And Paul brought that fool forward. 
He had to dismantle the law and the fallacy of the Sadducees and the Pharisees in every sense of the world of the economy of not only the current Jewish state, which was so far from even the promise of the old covenant. And folks, we're, we're doing the same thing today. Not only are we abolishing the law of the Old Testament, we're abolishing the fallacy and lie of those things that have been told about the new witness, the new testament, and new promise of Christ. And all the doubt and all the sin that we all carry and all those things, and there's only one thing left when you get down to the end of it, is the truthfulness and witness of the word and power and life of Jesus Christ in us and by the Holy Spirit. So do you feel a little closer to Jesus now? Do you see what he did in order to be like you and me and yet still be greater still the Son of God and empowering us because he has that right to empower us? We say, how can it be? But he has that right because he has paid for it and he has made it personal and he has endured it so that he can be accountable in all things to us because he's endured it himself. All the doubt. All of it. All of it. So Paul has something to say about this in Galatians. In the 13th verse, he talks about the 12th verse, this revelation of Christ that he'd received is neither taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why are you a Christian today? Why do you believe? Because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ to you. It's not the revelation of Brother Josh Gregory. It's not the revelation of any other brother. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If it's not of Him, it's not salvation. It's not. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Guilty. Guilty. Wasted the opportunity of God. And profited in the Jews' religion. Folks, we have all profited by the things of this world and this flesh. We have. We continue to do that. And you'll say, well, that's not talking about Christians, but how many Christians did Paul have to counsel and instruct and teach and even rebuke his own apostles, the brethren, Peter and Barnabas and others, because they had turned on the pure gospel and hope of Jesus Christ. So think about that just a minute. But I want you to get down to this last verse, the 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. Folks, it's only been by God's good pleasure that any of us have the opportunity to be a witness of His good grace. I want you to think about it. Has God... Has it pleased God to use you? Can you think about how many times that he's come and did his work in the midst of all our doubt and our weakness and the struggle and he's used us? You know, God can do many things that we're not even cognizant of because we have a right heart and we're doing the things that we know to do and we're trying to be obedient. Folks, it's not always that we're conscious when God does it. But you know what? When we aren't conscious of it, we have peace with God. Did you get that? 
doesn't mean you have to be conscious of all the good work he does in it, but we have peace with God. But folks, those times that we don't have peace with God, can we really say that there was even an opportunity that he could do his good pleasure in us and witness in us? Or are we kind of like his family who doubted, hedged, and backed up and wouldn't even acknowledge what we should know because we are his brothers and sisters in Christ by what he has performed. We are made heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, priests, kings, and most of all, he has called us friend. I want to be... I want it to be that God is pleased with me. And listen, here's the point. 16, there to reveal his son in me. That's what happens. A lot of times we think, well, I want to serve God. And I want to make this distinction. This is the difference between the Pharisaical, uh, Levitical law, the formality, the mindset of people today who think they can serve Christ. And I'm going to separate that. We're going to call that service. But when we think that we're going to serve someone and we're going to do a work for God, we can only relate to ourselves when we do that. We can only relate to our natural abilities, what we know, what we understand. But when we are truly in a state where it pleases God to use us, it's because we're in a place that Jesus is doing the work and the witness and revealing his son in us and what he has done. And that doesn't look like the service of this world in the name of Jesus Christ. And what's the difference? Now we're at the disposal of the nature of God in Jesus Christ. James, when he saw Jesus doing these things, why did he have such trouble with identifying his brother as the Son of God? Because James could only relate in being service to him from his natural state. Folks, the reason we stumble and have such a hard time being used of God is we're too busy identifying our own nature and what we're willing to be and used of him. And it's sinful. At its best. Even if our greatest desire, it can be of great desire, it can be of you, but folks, if it's not in Christ, if it doesn't please God, if it's not according to his nature, it is sinful. We can come into the church house and we can sing songs and we pray and be sinful. My desire for all of us is it pleases God to display the righteousness of the Son, to reveal him in us to others. That Christ may be known and it would reject the weakness of our flesh and our fleshly relationship. That we would truly be the witness and purity of the Spirit of God. This is what Paul's fighting for. This is what he's trying to explain. That I might preach him among the heathen Immediately I confer not with flesh and blood. Every one of these statements is a colon. 
It's like a train clicked together. Now I want you to think of that. I want you to hear this again. To reveal the Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, colon. Immediately I confer not with flesh and blood, colon. Neither when I went up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. Well, I thought that Peter had to confer with definitely the apostles in the church. No. The ministry of Paul was higher. The calling in Jesus Christ that he reveals in us is even higher than submitting to the apostles that Jesus appointed in the church. Folks, so much of the time we go, well, I don't know how my church would feel about that. I don't know how in our culture they would react if I let the Lord be revealed in me in a way that they're not used to. This was Paul. He was kind of a renegade, but he was sold out to the Lord. He had a lot. He, he knew to give honor where honor and custom where custom was due to navigate the complexities and, and intricacies and, and, and the misunderstanding and lack of knowledge of men. That, but the purpose when he did that was to, for the Christ to be revealed in him. Well, we do it obstinately because we're not following the Lord and we're just fearful folks and we're doubting Thomas's. We're guilty and we're sinful. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went cold again, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. His ministry didn't stand in the establishment even of the early church. He was called to it, but his ministry didn't stand there. Folks, our personal relationship with Christ, our fellowship, our, our, our relationship in the church is in Christ as a fellowship. In Christ. Not a human-made, earthly, orchestrated institution that gives attention to man Amen. before God. Amen. <laughs> and after three years... <laughs> Three years with this, separated from people I know he would have loved to have been among. But that wasn't God's calling to him. That wasn't his purpose of how he would reveal Jesus in him. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Finally, God lets him go and confirm these things with Peter for 15 days. An eyewitness account before that, every accounting he had was a little bit from James, the brother of John, and just by the holy word and the witness of Jesus Christ that lived within him. Folks, that's sold out. That's sold out. Will we get alone with the Lord and just confer in our spirit with Him, divorcing ourselves from all humanity and all human relationship and all the nature of man and only the nature of God? Folks, that's what prayer is supposed to be. That's what meditation is supposed to be. Our prayer is not real if it has to be manifest and witnessed by others in the church or only when others can see, but it must be a private, devoted time with God and the reality is Jesus and the only thing that matters in that relationship. 
But other apostles saw none save James, the Lord's brother and boy, as I've already said what James had to tell him. James was said to have written in the first chapter of the book of James, the book of James. He was also thought to be one of the leaders, if not the head pastor at the church at Jerusalem. What better man? <laughs> I want you to think about this. What better man? Why not Peter? Because James had a first-hand account of Jesus as his brother. But what qualified wasn't that he was his natural standing. It was because of the spiritual relationship that he had with Christ and the depth of understanding that this truly is the Son of God. And I have no other identity in this world other than in the spiritual Jesus whom I called myself his brother in the flesh. That fell away. He could have drawn that I was the brother of Jesus and this is my authority and this is, but no, I believe with all my heart the authority and witness of James was of the risen Christ and the reality of his saving grace in James who felt so unworthy. What better candidate? No wonder he identified well with Jesus and with Paul. It's all the Lord's given me tonight. I know it maybe have been a little long, but I hope it bears witness in your heart. I hope you forget me, but whatever you might have been felt or learned or gleaned from this tonight, I hope you carry it with your whole life. I hope it changes you. I hope it will be a touchstone in your life. Not because Steve Thompson delivered it, but to me these are truths that have taken a long time for me to come to understanding of. And I'm thankful. You know, folks, whatever we garner and gain in this life in Jesus Christ is worth everything. It's worth everything. You may have thought I've given and suffered a lot. Folks, it is just a drop in a bucket to what Christ has done for us. And he is worthy. God bless you tonight.